Bible Interact is a group of Bible scholars and biblical archaeologists who promote the Hebraic nature of Scripture and view the two Testaments as one unified message. They explain how they use a first-century approach to searching the Scriptures, and they share their methods and discoveries for discussion and dialogue. They invite your comments and participation on BibleInteract.tv, where you can also find more teachings, self-study quizzes, webinars, and interviews. Shalom. I am Dr. Ann Davis with Bible Interact. My passion is uncovering depth of meaning, and I am doing this because I have recovered ancient methods of Bible study. The way we have been taught to do Bible study is Greek-oriented. It's known by the terms hermeneutics and exegesis, which are fancy words. They're Greek words, by the way, which are the methods of interpreting scripture um, in in Christianity and have been for for many centuries. I am recovering first century methods before it became Greek, before the Christianity became Greek, before the separation between the Jews and the Christians. Back in the first century at the time of Yeshua, people did not have books. They learn scripture by listening and by memorizing. So the key to these ancient methods is to listen to the text for anything strange, uh, if you listen or puzzling or you or any kind or if there's repetition or if there's some kind of contrast or there's the many linguistic devices that they would have heard. Now this There's a second principle here that's very, very important, and that's the way of teaching. In our modern Western world, we elevate those who have a higher education. If they have a PhD, if they've gone to university, they've gone to seminary, they are elevated as the ones who know the truth. They know the interpretation. And what do you do? You jump on bandwagons, and you, you like this person, and you listen to this person, and he tells you all the truth, and another person tells you all the truth. That's not the Hebraic way of doing it. The Hebraic way of doing it is that the teacher leads you to the truth, which is the word of God, gives clue, I call them clues. These things that you hear in the text are clues. You have to roll up your sleeves and go in and uncover the depth of meaning yourself. We have a course which we call First Century Methods of, of Searching the Scriptures. You can find it on our website, BibleInteract.com. And there are many different ways that you, you can you can learn this. Um, we have an online course where you will actually be taking it with an instructor. We also have a self-study program um, that will be available shortly, and um, and we are working on a book so that, that uh, you will be able to learn from the book also. So just go to the website BibleInteract.com and stay stay posted, and uh, we'll you know there are different ways that you can learn these these ancient methods of Bible study which you really really need to learn. So th- that is, is what I love to do, but I'm going to do something a little differently in this session because it's important for you to know the historical and cultural background in order to appreciate going in and immersing yourself into the ancient world to be able to understand the text from the ancient perspective. And um, so I'm just going to take the concept of the Samaritans and go into the historical and cultural background of the Samaritans, and then I'll point out some passages in the uh, New Testament that that refer to the Samaritans, and hopefully you'll be able to understand those better after this historical and cultural background. 
Now, you remember that there were 12 tribes that occupied the Promised Land. During the period of the Judges, they lived in their own separate tribal areas. It was under David and Solomon that that, um, the tribes were brought together into a united kingdom. They were all brought together into a united kingdom. After the death of Solomon, the united kingdom split into two parts The northern kingdom continued to be called Israel. Its capital was at Samaria. There were ten tribes that lived in the northern kingdom of Israel. The southern kingdom was called Judah. Its capital was at Jerusalem, and there were two tribes that lived in the southern kingdom of Judah. So Samaria was the capital of the northern kingdom of Israel. And um, I I hope you'll get a chance, if you go to Israel, to visit Samaria. It's in the Palestinian area. I visited it, I think, on about three different occasions. The first time was back in the middle to late 90s. The Israeli army was still in control of that archaeological site. It was very well maintained and, and excellent educational opportunity. The Palestinians have taken over control of it. The Israeli Israeli government has handed over control of that archaeological site to the Palestinian Authority. So if you go today, it is under Palestinian control. It's not well maintained. What you see are Roman remains because the Romans built a city on top of the archaeological remains of the original Israeli capital city of Samaria. And um, the um, it would have been the second time I believe I was there. I was had two Arab uh, guides. One was the driver, one was the guide. But they were both licensed by the state of Israel as licensed guides. They were uh, Palestinians who lived in East Jerusalem. East Jerusalem is controlled by Israel, and Israel allows the Palestinians in East Jerusalem to receive an education, to receive health care, and to become licensed as guides if they so choose. So these two young men were licensed guides by the Israeli government. Um, I had them rent the car, so we had Palestinian plates on the car. And, and one of them drove, and the other one acted as a guide, although they were both licensed guides. And then the three of us drove into the Palestinian area, and we visited a number of sites that I wanted to see. And, uh, and I wanted to return to Samaria because I wanted to photograph for our, for our teachings. And um, when we got to Samaria, they were very proud of this Roman archaeological site, because there's a lot of Roman activity. You can see on the surface a lot of the Roman remains. And I said, oh, I'm not here to see the Roman archaeology. I'm here to see the original Jewish city of Samaria. Now, they looked at me and they said, oh, no, the Jews have never, never lived here. The Palestinian Authority had had taught them (laughs) that that the Romans had built the city. And I I was a little startled, and I thought to myself, okay, Lord, what do I do now? So I had a book about the Samaritans, and I opened the book, and I showed them information. The book was written by, you know, academic authorities, and I showed them that this was the the original site of the the northern kingdom of, of Israel. And they they were startled, and they knew they knew that the Palestinian Authority had lied to them, 
and uh, and told them it had never been a Jewish city. <clears throat> and I told them, I said, look, let me take you, I will show you the remains of the original wall that, that created the wall city. There's, there's very little on the surface that, that we can see from the ancient um, you know, Jewish city, but there are some remains, and let me take you to those remains, and I will show you those remains, which I did. And I think, I, I think they knew, they knew that what the Palestinian Authority had told them was wrong. So that, that was kind of interesting. So the, Samaria was the, the capital city of the northern kingdom of Israel until the Assyrians came in and conquered. They conquered the ten northern tribes. They were unable to conquer the two southern tribes in Judah. They conquered the ten northern tribes and brought them into captivity. Now, what they did in, in ancient times, they believed that all the different peoples had their own gods. They believed in, you know, polytheism, many gods. And a group of people would have a main god and many other smaller gods, but they had the main god. And they believed that the main god was tied to the land. So if you left the land, you left your god behind you. You couldn't take your god with you, which makes the, you know, the prophet Isaiah saying that God is always, God says, I am always with you. It was a, is a revelation uh, to the Jews because they believed, as all the people of the ancient Near East believed, that the gods were tied to the land. So the Assyrians, believing that gods were tied to the land, would take a conquered people out of their own land and would disperse them all over the Assyrian Empire. They didn't put them in one location because if they were in one location, they might revolt against the Assyrians. So they, they took small pockets of them and, and brought them all, dispersed them all around the Assyrian Empire. Now, what is important to what we're doing is that, you know, the Samaria, or the, the Samaritan area, which is the northern kingdom around the capital city of Samaria, was depopulated because the people were taken into captivity and dispersed around the Assyrian Empire. So what the Assyrians did is they brought other captive people from other parts of the Assyrian Empire and moved them into this strange land. And they're going to be called the Samaritans. Now we read about this in 2 Kings chapter 17. I'm in verse 24. The king of Assyria brought men from Babylon and from Kutah and from Ava and from Hamat and Sepharvaim and settled them in the cities of Samaria in place of the sons of Israel. So the Assyrians are taking these conquered peoples from all over the Assyrian Empire and bringing them into the land that uh, the northern kingdom of, of Israel around the capital city of Samaria. It's called the Samaritan area. Now, what happened next is that lions were coming up from the Jordan River Valley and were literally eating people. <laughs> and I, let me read it to you, okay? Um, it came about at the beginning of the Samaritans living there that they did not fear the Lord. Therefore, the Lord sent lions among them, which killed some of them. <laughs> now, you have to know that the Jordan River Valley had very, very dense undergrowth in the ancient world, and lions lived there. They were living there at the time of the Romans. The Romans captured lions there and brought them to Rome and fed Christians to the lions in Rome. They got them from the Jordan River Valley in Israel. 
I have a personal experience about this because my husband and I were in South Africa and we were on um, a three-day safari, uh, two nights, three days, and it was all on foot. We had, there were, um, besides the two of us, there were two other couples, so there were six of us plus two guides. And so during the day we were on foot and we would um, um, hike in single file with a guide in the front, a guide in the back. Now we came to a very wide riverbed. We were there during the dry season. So the river was occupying a very small part in the middle of of this very wide riverbed. We were going to go through the undergrowth into the dry part of the riverbed and hike down, down there. We had to pass through this very dense growth on the side of the of the river, and so our single file stopped when we got to the dense growth, and one of the guides came to the edge of the growth, listened for quite a while before very slowly moving through the dense undergrowth. It took about a half an hour, and then he returned, and he 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 went through that dense undergrowth, which is where the lions were hiding, you see, to get the animals as they went to get the water, and he said that there are lion tracks along the edge of the dry riverbed, and he followed them for some distance to reassure himself that that lion was not in the area where we were going to go through the dense undergrowth. So this is what was happening to the Samaritans. The lions were coming up from the Jordan River Valley and, and were terrorizing them. So they sent to the king of Assyria asking for help. And the king of Assyria, it says here in in, uh, 2 Kings chapter 17, commanded saying, take there one of the priests whom you carried away into exile. So take one of the Jewish priests and let's see, and let him go, go back to Samaria and live there and let him teach the Samaritans the custom of the God of the land. Now, there's something else you need to know, and that is that in the northern kingdom of Israel, the king before they went into captivity. And the kings of Israel did not want their people going to Jerusalem to to worship at the Temple of Jerusalem, so they created two cultic centers. One in the north, which you can still see today at the archaeological site of Tel Dan, and the other one just north of Jerusalem, which would have been in that northern kingdom of Israel at Beit El. Um, Beit El has now been built up. It's a Palestinian city, and so we can't do the archaeological excavation to uncover that particular site. But what's significant here is that the priest who returned to the land to teach the Samaritans the custom of the god of the land settled in Beit El. So he's settling in the cultic site of Beit El. And and, and this is not true worship, (laughs) Of, of Adonai. It's not true worship. So the priests came back without the true worship of Judaism. And to make matters worse, the Sumerians, who had come from you know different parts of the Assyrian Empire, continued to worship their pagan gods. Because we read here, every people still made gods of its own and put them in the house of the high places which the people of Samaria had made. Every people in, in the cities in which they lived. So the Samaritans were taught Judaism, but it wasn't a really, you know, pure Judaism to begin with. And then they mixed it with their own pagan worship, their pagan religion. So their Judaism is a corrupted form of Judaism, or so the Jews believed. And that's why we see, for example, in, let's see if I can find it, in Luke 
let's see, Luke chapter 9, let me um, read you verse 51. So we have Yeshua and his disciples together in, in the Gospel of Luke. And we read that when the days were approaching for his ascension, so it's right before his death and resurrection, that Yeshua resolutely set his face to go to Jerusalem. Now there are two ways to go to Jerusalem. He would have been up in the Sea of Galilee area. And it, there were two ways. One would be to follow the Roman road, which was on the east side of the Jordan River, and then you cross back over the Jordan River at a ford at Jericho and then up into Jerusalem. Or you could come down the central spine of the hill country, in which case you pass through the land of the Samaritans. And apparently Yeshua and his disciples were taking that route that went down the central spine of the hill country, and so they were passing through the area of the Samaritans. And it came about when the days were approaching for his ascension that he resolutely set his face to go to Jerusalem and he sent messengers on ahead of him and they went and entered a village of the Samaritans. So they're coming down that central hill country to make arrangements for him to lodge there um, in, in among the Samaritans. But the Samaritans did not receive him because he was journeying with his face toward Jerusalem. So the Samaritans had the same feeling about the Jews that the Jews had about the Samaritans. They were hostile to each other, not to the point of warfare, of course, but they, they looked down upon each other. And they had their center of worship. They didn't go to Jerusalem. They had their center of worship on Mount Gerizim in the north, which if I have time, I'll talk a little bit about Mount Gerizim, which is really kind of interesting. So the Samaritans... Had, had been brought into the area by the Assyrians. Their religion was, was mixed with paganism, and, um, and, they, and their cultic center was on Mount Gerizim. Now, there are still Samaritans today, which is very interesting. The census that was taken in 2012 uh, reported 751 Samaritans. That's all that are left. 751. About half of them live on Mount Gerizim today, about half. The other half moved to uh, a community right outside of Tel Aviv. Uh, there was hostility, and during the first intifada, uh, a great deal of hostility, and, and a number of the Samaritans asked the Israeli government for permission to come into Israel, and the Israelis uh, allowed them to come into this community outside of Tel Aviv. And so about half of them live in Israel um, outside of Tel Aviv. The other half are still living on Mount Gerizim, which is the Palestinian area. The um, Samaritans, by the way, have their own Torah scroll, which it, it is, is uh, quite old, and uh, scholars are very interested in that scroll, but it was stolen. When I was there back in about 1998, I think it was, um, and um, I, I, I visited the, the, uh, uh, the Samaritans there on Mount Gerizim, and the leader of the Samaritans came, and I, I, there was one other gal with me. We were both studying uh, Hebrew at an Ulpan in Israel, and we had an Arab guide, and, um, and, and this uh, Samaritan leader was, was telling us the whole story. Now, he was telling it. Um, uh, it our, we, our guide was, was translating for us. We were learning Hebrew, but we weren't that good in Hebrew, so it was being translated for us. And the Samaritan guide was trying to convince us. He wanted the world to know that their scroll had been stolen, and they were trying to raise money to buy it back. 
Uh, another interesting thing about the Samaritans today is they still practice the Passover sacrifice. That has not been practiced by the Jews since the destruction of the temple, but it's still practiced by the Samaritans on Mount Gerizim today. So every year at the time of the Passover Seder, there is a sacrifice of the Passover lamb. Um, there are people um, who have been able to visit that um, uh, you know that ceremony and have actually taken video uh, pictures of it. It's kind of interesting to see that. So the Samaritans created their sanctuary not at Tel Dan, not at Beit El, but on Mount Gerizim. That's where they established when they were repopulated into this area. That's where they established their place of worship. And we actually see that in the Gospel of John. And you remember how um, Yeshua and his disciples, again, they were going to Jerusalem and they stopped um, outside of the city of uh, Shechem is the Israeli word. Shechem, I think, is the way we say it in English. And he sent his disciples into the to the village to get some provisions. So he was alone by Jacob's well. And a Samaritan woman came to him. And I'm not going to go over the whole account. I just want to point out one thing. Because he says he's he's going to talk about the two mountains, Mount Gerizim and Mount Zion. And he's going to start by speaking prophecy that has not yet come to pass. And then he's going to speak prophecy and he says, it, is come, it has come to pass now. You're going to see it now. So he says to this woman, he says, woman, believe me, an hour is coming when neither in this mountain or in Jerusalem yet shall you worship the Father. You worship that, and, and neither in this mountain, meaning Mount Gerizim, nor in Jerusalem, which would be Mount uh, Zion. Uh, and then he goes on and he says, an hour is coming and now is. So the first time he said an hour is coming. This time he says an hour is coming and now is. When the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and truth. For such people the Father seeks to be his worshipers. God is spirit, and those who worship him must spirit, worship in spirit and truth. And of course, he's talking about now that we have the gift of the Holy Spirit. We can worship in spirit to God who is spirit. And we do that through our faith in Christ. Um, but it points out that the Samaritans, their holy mountain was Mount Gerizim. And for the Jews, the holy mountain was Jerusalem. Now, there's some other things in the New Testament that will make more sense to you now. The Samaritans were considered by the Jews to be unclean. And if they came into contact with anything unclean, they would become unclean also, and they had to purify themselves to get rid of this this uh, uncleanness. <laughs> and they looked upon the Samaritans as not true Jews. They were still worshiping pagans, and they were unclean. So we get um, in the Gospel of Luke that Yeshua cleansed ten lepers. Now leprosy was probably the most frightful of all the diseases in the ancient world because it ate away parts of your skin and your nose dropped off and you know all these terrible things happened. So there were ten, he, and by a miracle of healing he, he cleansed ten of leprosy. Nine of them just went away one of them returned to Yeshua to glorify God. And who was the one who returned to Yeshua but the Samaritan? He was the one who returned. And of course, the parable of the Good Samaritan shows, you know, the question is, who's my neighbor? 
and the um, uh, there was a, a priest who walked on the other side of the man who had been uh, beaten, and that's referring to the other side, the side of the Gentiles. So there's irony in there, and um, and and then came a Levite and he passed on the other side, but the good Samaritan stopped to help the one who had been beaten. So the Samaritans were considered unclean, unholy, pagan idol worshippers by the Jews. And yet Yeshua is is teaching that the, these people who appear to be unclean are in fact not unclean. They can be brought to God to become part of God's people. And because it's not just the Jews who are going to belong to God, God is going to open up and make available not only Gentiles, but even those who are, who you know, who are the sinners and the poor ones and the you know the ones that the world looks down on. Even they will be, uh, it will be available for them to become children of God. So that's the historical and cultural background of the Samaritans. You read a lot about Samaritans in the New Testament, and you need to have this background to fully appreciate what you're reading in the New Testament. You'll need to do this kind of work on your own to get the historical and cultural background of the stories in, in the both the Old Testament and the New Testament, and you can do this with a good historical atlas. So with that, we'll end the session. I will wish you shalom.